And we are beginning a new series of messages today called No Offense. And I don't know if this is one of the things that has just always been this way, but maybe it's just the access to social media and the 24-7 news channels and, and just the constant media consumption. But it seems like everyone is always offended by something, right? I mean, you all notice that, like, there's always somebody offended about something. And that's not to say that there aren't times where there are things that are offensive. There are. But it just seems like everything is offensive now. I mean, you can't, you can't watch anything. You can't, you can't read anything without somebody being offended by something that somebody else did. And I'm hesitant to even ask this follow-up question, but how many of you have noticed that oftentimes Christians can be some of the most easily offended people? Maybe a few of you, you notice that? And, and I think there's a reason for that, but, but why do you think it is? I mean, why do you think it is that Christians are, are among the people that are so easily offended? Maybe it's because we spend more time with other Christians, and so that's, you know, by proxy, you know, the people that you're around the most, that's who you notice the most about. But I think, let me tell you what I really think, though. I think that as disciples of Jesus, this is probably part of our jobs to be offended, Right? I mean, I think God calls us as followers of Jesus to, to point out sins, right? To point out other people's sins and to, and to gripe about all the social injustices that are going on in the world. And, and, and I mean, if you really love Jesus, come on. If you really love Jesus, aren't you offended by, by and mad about sin in the world? I'm being a little bit sarcastic, right? Just a little bit. So what I want to do today is I want to start a new series of messages called No Offense. And I want to talk about how in our culture... So many people are easily offended and, in, and incredibly angry. And, and what, what our response as disciples of Christ should be to, to all the division and all the hatred and all the anger that takes place in our world. And, and I want to give credit to an author and highlight a book called Unoffendable by Brent Hansen. Uh, this is a, a really great book. It's, it's a book that I read last summer that speaks to the tension uh, that we have in our culture today. And I'm going to be leaning on some of the ideas that are in this book um, and if you want to read more about it, I'll loan you my copy, or you can get it on Amazon. Um, I got this for five ninety seven, so I, 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 I buy cheap books. So, um, but but you can you can read more about it, and, and and you can learn more about what it means to be unoffendable. Which I'll tell you that while I was reading that, it actually kind of got on my nerves a little bit. But, but, but in a good way, I mean, in fact, in the very beginning of the book, the author, he has the audacity to say that you can be unoffendable, that you can be unoffendable, and, and to be honest, when I read that, it, it kind of offended me. I mean, because I'm thinking, like, you don't know the crazy people that I have in my life. I mean, they're everywhere, and, and, and no offense, okay, but like, there's, there's church people, and there's you know, people at games that I officiate, and I mean, those are crazy people. I mean, and then there's family, and like, my wife's side of the family, I mean, like, a little bit. Uh, but like, I will pay for that later, so just know that. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking, everywhere there's these people, they're, they're loud, and they're opinionated, and they're often criticizing me, and, and, and this author, he's telling me, you can be unoffendable. And honestly, I would say, I don't think it's very easy to offend me. I think I'm, I'm 
I've got pretty tough skin. I, I'm not easily offended unless some, you know, somebody hurts Christy or, or one of my boys or betrays one of my friends or, or criticizes the church or one of my sermons or one of my outfits or one of my calls. Maybe I am easily offended. I don't know. But, but what I discovered as I read this book and, and as even more so as I was searching the scriptures about it was that God started to show me where I was too easily offended. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is, is I'm just going to lay my cards out on the table and, and I'm just be real honest with you, I will probably offend some of you. In fact, I will probably offend some of you today. And if I do, sorry, I guess. But, but I'm going to try to offend you with the goal of helping you get over your offenses, of, of helping you get over your anger and maybe even your unforgiveness. And so that's why to, to start this series, we're starting with a message called Stop Being Offended. What I really wanted to call it was just stop it. Stop it. Because that's what I, like, we could really just end church right now. Stop being offended, all right? Just stop it. And we could be done. But I'm not going to do that. So what I am going to do today, though, is I'm going to introduce a, a big thought for us from the book of James. It's, in, it's found in James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead. It's there on the screen as well. Here's what the half-brother of Jesus, he said. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And then he gives us some instructions. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And here's what I want to ask you today. Is how are you doing with this assignment? How are you doing with, with this assignment? That we should be quick to, to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think we live in a culture where not many people are listening today. And they're very, very fast to speak their opinions and people are incredibly and easily offended and often quickly angry. And James says we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. In fact, when you look at Jesus, you look at his life, this is exactly how he, how he lived. Um, you may never have thought about this, but I think it's kind of interesting. How many questions over the course of the Gospels do you think Jesus was asked in the Gospels? Jesus was asked directly 183 questions. He was asked directly, you know, a question 183 times. How many times do you think he responded directly to those questions? Three. Uh, Tommy's a little quick on the notes there. Only three of those questions did he ever respond directly to. He actually asked 307 questions in response to those questions. Instead of just responding directly and giving an answer, he asked a question. And 307 questions, in fact, is what he asked. Because, why, why would he do that? Because Jesus was incredibly others-focused. He was slow to speak. And he was quick to listen. As we think to, about this today, our assignment would be quick to listen. And slow to speak. And slow to become angry. And when we think about slow to become angry, I, I've, I think that anger's kind of been evolving in our lifetime. For example, if you go back just a few years, the, you know, the kind of things that used to annoy me and really offend me and make me angry regularly... It's just kind of smaller stuff, and I think probably that's true for most of us, that it, it's really not big stuff that makes us angry. It's, it's a, just kind of a collection of small stuff. Like, like, let me give you an example. If somebody will, you text somebody, and they don't respond very quickly to your text, and you know they have their phone, right, because everybody has their phone, and, and they don't respond very quickly to that text, or even worse, like, you know they're about to, to text you back because you saw the bubbles start coming up, Right. And then they just disappear, and you don't hear from them. That would run all over me. It does run all over me. It was little things like that, or, or like being in a movie. Um, being in, a, I, I think there are four uh, levels of offense in a movie that you can do. 
Uh, level one is, is when someone's talking in a movie. Like, that's just rude, right? It's, 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 it's discourteous. It's rude. Don't do it, right? But that's, that's a minor offense. Level two of offenses in, in a movie would be when they talk to the movie. Like, you, you're watching a movie and they just start talking. They can't hear you, okay? They can't. Um, Christy tells me this all the time when I'm watching, a, watching a, a game, a sports game on TV. She's like, why are you umpiring or why are you coaching? They can't hear you. Just stop. Le- level three would be in, in a movie when someone calls somebody in the movie. Like, you know, you're sitting in the theater and somebody gets a phone call. And instead of just like silencing their phone and putting it away, they actually answer their phone and they begin to have a conversation. That's incredibly rude. Don't do that. But worse than that, like up here on par with like the unforgivable sin is when someone takes out their phone and they actually dial and make a phone call in a movie. Like it's incredibly rude. And, but those, when you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, those, that's incredibly rude. But in the grand scheme of things, right, very minor, like a normal offense, right? But it seems like anger has, has kind of escalated in our culture and it's all around. It's, it's anger at the idiots on social media arguing about vaccines or no vaccines or mask or no mask or, or the visible leader who, who abuses his power. Or, you know, a few years ago it was who, who, you're arguing over who kneeled during the anthem or who didn't kneel during the anthem. And, and here's the thing, whatever your issue is, and those are just a couple of examples, right? But whatever your issue is, because everybody has an issue. The thing that we think everybody should be upset about, the thing that we should be fixing, the thing that we think, hey, we're Christians, we're going to do this, right? And it's a very single issue amongst hundreds of issues. But you get angry about that and you take your anger to the next level. You get angry at other people because they're not angry about the same thing that you're angry at, right? And I don't know about you, but I find myself easily agitated and more easily angered than I used to be. And I don't think that's pleasing to God. And it's hard to admit, and this might not be true for everyone, but I think it's certainly true for some, is that I think there are people that like being angry. Like, you know people like that? That, are, that people like being I don't think they like the thing that offends them, that gets them to being angry, but I think there are people who, if they're not mad about something, they're not happy. Like That's just the way that they live their lives. They, 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 they want to be angry about something. You know, Some people do like small groups and life groups, but others have anger groups. You know, it's their social media feed. It's, you know, you got your 73 friends on Facebook and, you, and you're all ticked off about the same thing. And you just repost things that, that tick you off. And it's like, yeah, 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 truth, truth, truth. And you're just angry about all of these things in your little group. You know, you got your little soccer mom group and you're all mad about the same thing. Or you got your guys that go to the gym with you and, and you're all mad about the same thing. And here's the thing about anger. We like being angry because when we're angry, it's kind of fun. We actually feel morally superior when we're angry. We feel morally, anger makes us feel morally superior because in our minds we're right and everybody else is wrong, right? That's why I'm angry, because they're, they're evil. They're, they're evil or either they're an idiot or, or in worst cases they're evil idiots. But we're easily angered. And I don't think that's pleasing to God. And so I want to ask you this question. And I want you to think about this. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. Just think about this. How effective is your anger? How, how effective is your anger? Like, how, how's that going for you? How's that working out for you? If you're easily angered, is, is it working? Is it making you more like Jesus? Is it pointing others to the intimacy and, and the life and the freedom that is found in Christ, to the joy that's found in Christ? How effective is your anger? Is your anger making you more loving? Is it drawing other people to a more joyful life? Let me give you a little spoiler alert. No, it's not. The answer is no. 
Not according to Scripture. In fact, James 1.19, that verse we just looked at a minute ago, where everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's why. That's why we should be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to get angry because human anger, it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And if you're like me, you want to push back on that a little bit. Because you're like, hey Adam, you, you don't understand. My anger is, it's, it's righteous anger, right? My anger is righteous angry because I'm angry over sin. And you might be. You might be. There, there probably is such a thing that, uh, uh, as righteous ha- ha- uh, hatred against something that breaks the heart of God. But I don't know if you've noticed this about righteous anger. Whenever we're angry about sin, it always seems that we're angry about somebody else's sin. Right? You ever notice that? Like, we don't ever really seem to be angry about our own sin, the sin that is in my life. You know, I don't get angry about that. I get angry about everybody else's sin. And so it's possible, I think, it's just possible that our righteous anger is really more just self-righteous anger. Because as Christians, it's really easy to criticize somebody's foul language and ignore our own spiritual pride. It's easy to judge their sexual sin, but ignore our gluttony. That offend you yet? We tend to think that our anger is justified because it's our anger. It's our anger. But again, let me ask, how effective is your anger? Are you drawing people to the grace and to the goodness and to the love and the joy of Jesus because of your anger? Is your anger giving, uh, bringing more joy? Is it blessing or enhancing your marriage? Is your anger giving your children a life that they want to emulate, one that's a blessing to others or always criticizing others? And so here's what I think we have to do. I think we have to eventually, as followers of Jesus, we need to make a decision. We need to decide when we get angry, and you're going to get angry. We need, we need to decide when we get angry, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? And I'll be honest with you, there are times where I just want to make a point. But too many people, I think, simply want to make a point. And if we want to make a difference, I would submit to you that we need a different attitude and we need a different philosophy with dealing with the wrongs in this world. And rather than letting our flesh and our feelings and our emotions direct our actions, we need to let the Spirit of God direct our actions so that we're not just making a point, but that we're actually making a difference because we're not trying to win an argument here. We're not trying to just win an argument. We're trying to win people to the grace and the goodness of Jesus. And there's a very, very, very big difference when we're doing that. And so in the scriptures, there's this really smart guy. He's an expert in the law. And he's asking Jesus a question. And this is one of the three times that Jesus responds directly to a question. And, and the re- religious teacher of the law, he says, Hey, hey, Jesus, tell me, what's the most important thing? Like, if, I, if I'm going to get everything else wrong, what's the one thing that I need to get right? What's the most important thing? And Jesus says, here, you want me to tell you what it is? Here it is. The most important thing for you is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. He says this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one, you, know, you want to know what the second one is? The second one is just like it. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what's important? It's to love God with everything that you have, with every bit of fiber in your body, to worship Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Other verses would add strength to that. It's for you to love Him and glorify Him in all that you do. And the way that you do that the best, the way that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the way that you love God more than any other way is to love His people. To love His people. And that means showing them grace and and having some empathy and showing compassion and, and showing His goodness and love for other people. And here's what I realized. Is that you don't have to be angry to do that. 
You don't have to be angry to show kindness and love and joy and goodness and empathy and compassion to other people. In fact, I have to ask myself, can I, can I be angry and show consistent love and grace to people? When, when you think about it, Jesus never, ever told us to be right. He didn't. He never told us that we had to be right. What he did do is say that we had to be loving. So do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? And there's a part of me that wants to say, hey, you've you got to get righteously angry. The only way to make a difference in this world is you've got to be angry and you've got to fight against all the sin and all the injustices and all of the wrongs in this world. You've got you to you stand up and you've got to fight for these things. And you've got to be angry about it. And here's what I've discovered. If anybody watch MMA, mixed martial arts, UFC, that kind of stuff? You watch some of that stuff? Here's, you want to know how you can always tell who's about to lose a fight? It's the guy that loses their cool. The best fighters are never the angry fighters. They're not. The best fighters are never the angry fighters. You want to see somebody get beat, you just watch them lose their cool. Same is true in other walks of life. An effective police officer. The most effective police officers are not the ones that get angry and upset. It's the ones that they remember their training. And they keep calm and cool. And the best soldiers. The best soldiers aren't angry in battle if they're doing what they've been trained to do. And so as disciples of Jesus, do, do we... How, how do we battle against those, those forces of darkness? How do we battle against all the things that we have to battle? And I think the way that we do battle is this. Is that we simply lead with love. We lead with love, not anger. We're not, we're not just trying to make a point, you know, this is how we do it, or you're doing it wrong. And, you know, no, we're trying to make a difference. And, and hearts are rarely changed by, by anger and accusations and judgment as much as they are changed by empathy and compassion and discussion and love. Don't believe me, go look at your Facebook comments. When's the last time you saw somebody change their opinion in a Facebook argument because of what was being typed there? Doesn't happen, does it? We want to lead with love, not with anger. So if you find yourself a little bit like me, just kind of getting annoyed at all that's going on out there and all that he said and the she said, and, and you know, you got really strong opinions, and don't think for a moment that I don't have really strong opinions. But I don't want my, my opinions to overrule my calling to, to share the love of Jesus, to, to, to allow my opinions to get me sidetracked by the little things that are not nearly as important as the gospel. And so how do we learn to let go of that anger and th that we might be carrying in our life? How do we let go of the anger that allows us to, to get over our offenses, to become unoffendable people? Well, I want to give you two thoughts that I think can be incredibly helpful and then, then an assignment. How do we learn to let go of anger. Well, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to, to lower your expectations of people. And I know that's going to sound like the opposite of what I should say right now. But lower your expectations of people. Just, just lower them. Because what will happen a lot of times is somebody's going to lie to you, or, or they're going to let you down, or they're going to betray you, or, or they're not going to show up to something that you think they ought to show up to, or they're not going to say thank you, or they're not going to come to your shower, and, and you went to their shower, and they're not going to be there for you, and they're not going to do this thing, and, and you're just going to find yourself incredibly disappointed. And I want to say this with all the love and compassion and the least offensive way I can find to say this. But what did you expect? I mean, really, what did you expect? Have you never let somebody down? They're people. They're people. Instead of saying, I can't believe that she would do that, or, or I can't believe he would ever say that, or I can't believe a Christian would ever do that. No. We have to remember that sinners do sinful things. Sinners do sinful things. And if we're going to start elevating your expectations and thinking everyone's going to love you all the time, well, you're just going to be disappointed all the time. 
And if you want to know what people are really like, the Apostle Paul told Timothy what, what people are like. Some people might say that we're, we're living toward the end of times, and the Apostle Paul said in the end of times, he said, let me tell you what people are like. People are like this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we read all of that and we're shocked when people don't call us back, right? Sinful people do sinful things. If you're not Jesus, you're not perfect. People will let you down. And I hate to tell you this, I'm going to let you down. As, as your pastor, I'm going to let you down. There are gonna be, there's going to be a moment where I say something that you're like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Maybe today. Or there's going to be a moment where you, you go, I can't believe he did that. Or I really wish he would do this. Or I really wish he would do something differently. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to let you down. And you follow me long enough, I will let you down. I guarantee it. And when I do let you down, promise me this. Promise me that you won't say, well, God's not real. And promise me that you won't say the church betrayed you because the church didn't betray you and God's still real. No, what happened was a sinful person wasn't perfect. Just like you're not perfect. Lower your expectations of people. When you think about Jesus, he was never, ever shocked by the self-centeredness of people. You know, oh, I can't believe they're being sinful. No, he, he, he knew they were, right? He, he, knew, he knew that. He was never scandalized by, by immoral behavior. I mean, you just watch as you go through story after story after story in the New Testament, and, and you see this. When Jesus walked up to the woman at the well, and he realized that she had been married five different times and the man that she was with right now was not her husband, that they were just shacking up, they were just doing their thing. He was not, he was not like, oh, I can't believe that. Like, i got to get out of here. I'm not from here. I, gotta, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't wait to tell Peter and James and John we're, about this. You know, we're not going to gossip. We're going to pray for her. We're, it's going to be a prayer request because you know, she's looking for love in all the wrong places, so we're going to pray for it. No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't. He, instead, he offered her living water. The thing that would satisfy her, it, it, it would help meet the need that she was looking for. He, he wasn't shocked by scandalous behavior. Whenever the disciples were, were posturing themselves like, like, hey, who's going to be Jesus' favorite? Who gets to sit by his side? Who's going to be the top-ranking disciple? You know, who's going to be the right-hand man in the kingdom of God? Who's going to be that guy? Jesus, he didn't get frustrated with them. I, I, there's, you read that, and I think at some point, you think, like, Jesus is just going to lose it on these idiots at some point, isn't he? Like, he's got to be like, all right, you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you, do you remember who you are? You ought to be a tax collector. And I am the sinless son of God. Just, just stop it. Quit, having, quit talking, right? But he, but he didn't. He, he never said, hey, I'm sick of your attitude or get out of my face. He didn't do that. He just kept on loving them. Think about Peter. I mean, we're talking about inner circle Peter. And Peter's, he's the guy that he's like, he's bragging like, hey, I'm your guy. Hey, Jesus, you and me, we're, we're like this. I will never betray you. I will, I will never uh, not have your back. All of those other loser guys, they don't have your back, but I always have your back. I, I'm always with you. I'm always on team Jesus. I'll never deny you. I'll never disappoint you. And what did Peter do? Well, he obviously lied, didn't he? He betrayed Jesus. He denied him. He stabbed him in the back. He abandoned Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He didn't quit his life group. He didn't go on a Facebook rant and just say all people suck. No, he didn't do that, right? He just forgave Peter. He just forgave Peter. He kept on loving Peter. He gave Peter a new assignment to go out and take care of his sheep. How do you get over being so easily offended? You lower your expectations of people. Because we're all sinners. We all mess up. People are going to let you down. Don't be shocked by it. 
It's like, well, Adam, how do, how do you how do you deal with it? how do you deal with criticisms and that kind of stuff? Well, I just here's I just kind of expected that's what people are going to do. That's what people are going to do. Lower your expectations. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is to to not only lower your expectations of people, but to raise your gratitude for God's grace. Now, this is kind of the opposite of the, of the lower your expectations of people. Lower your expectations of people, but raise your gratitude for God's grace. Here, here's a, a little participation time, all right? I want to see a show of hands to, for everyone. You raise your hand if you have never, ever, ever sinned. You've never done anything wrong, right? You, you, you've, ne- you've never cheated. You deserve God's love. You've never lied. You, you never looked lustfully. You never envied. You never fought it in an elevator. And you're like, I don't think that's a sin. If you've been in an elevator when somebody has, you know. You've never done anything wrong, right? Now, how is it? How is it that we were made right with God? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For it is by grace, it is the grace of God that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. In other words, it's not because you were good. It's not because you were holy. It's not because you had it all together, that you did everything right, that you went to church every Sunday. It's, It's not any of that stuff. It's not because of you. It's the gift of God, So, not by works, so that nobody could boast. It's by grace. By grace. It's by the grace of God. It's by the goodness of God. It's by the mercy of God. It's it's because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's because of His perfections. It's because of of His righteousness. It's all His goodness. It has nothing to do with us. It's by His grace that we are made right with God. And you might say, well, they lied about me. Well, I've lied too. Say, well, he's so arrogant. Well, I I can be arrogant too. Well, he stole from me. Well, I've stolen too, and I'm going to quit listing all my sins before you leave church. But but you know what I'm talking about, right? I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. You need the grace of God. And look, I don't want to minimize whatever hurt you're going through. Like, please don't don't hear that. I don't don't want to minimize the hurt that you might be going through because we've talked about politics and we've talked about friends groups. and, and, And I know a lot of you are facing some really deep and significant hurts right now. Maybe somebody abused one of your kids or, or you know, You've lost confidence in your spouse or, or, or whatever. You might be facing a horrible, horrible betrayal right now. And I don't want to minimize that. But what I am saying is that no matter what level of offense, whenever we've been hurt, whenever we're angry, there, there tends to be just this thought that, hey, I'm right and they're wrong. I, I'm right and they're wrong. I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in my anger. And if you're not careful in, in your anger, then you will justify your right to hold on to your stone. It's not that you're going to throw your stone. It's just that I just like to have it in case I need to, right? In case I ever need to throw it. You hurt my child, I might hurt you. You let me down, so I'm going to hold on to my stone. And then before long, it's like you're just spreading false information. And, you know, you voted, it's like you voted for the wrong candidate. How could you do that? I'm going to hold on to my stone. Like this is, this is what you believe about this social matter. How could you believe that? I'm going to hold on to my stone. I'm right and you're wrong and my anger gives me the right to hold on to my stone. And in John chapter 8, there's a woman who was caught in a sinful act. She and another guy are caught in the act of adultery. We talked briefly about it last week. And there was an anger group of men that gathered around this woman and they're holding their stones. And they're saying, she deserves death. She sinned. Let's stone her for her sin. And Jesus wasn't shocked. He wasn't angry. He wasn't offended. 
Instead, he knelt down and he started scribbling something in the sand. And we don't know from the Gospels what he wrote in the sand, but uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, traditionalists say that he was writing the, the sins of those men in, in the sand. Well, we don't know. Tim Isaacs mentioned a couple weeks ago in a communion meditation that maybe he was, that Jesus started writing down the Ten Commandments. We don't know, but what we do know is that whatever he wrote, it was effective because one by one, from youngest to oldest, those men, they started to walk away. They left. And Jesus looked on him and said, basically he said, look, you're angry and you want to do something to right the wrongs. Then, then whoever of you who has never sinned, then you go ahead and you pick up your stone and you cast the first one. Look, there are so many injustices in this world. And they break the heart of God. They do. And it's easy for us to, be want, to, to want to be righteously angry. But I would submit to you that really angry people have a really hard time making a, a really big difference. If we deal with enough anger at some point, I think Jesus would say to us, lower your expectations. Lower your expectations of others and raise your gratitude for the grace of God. And it's because of the goodness of God, it's because of the grace of God that we've been forgiven. And because of we've been forgiven, it's time to put down our stones. It's time to drop our stones. It's time to lay them down and, and, and get rid of them. Because Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. He didn't call us to make a point. He called us to make a difference. And our goal, that should be our goal. Not to make a point, not to be right, but to be loving and to make a difference. My goal is not to convert you on some peripheral issue uh, to, to my opinion of it. My goal is to help you to see the love of the one who changed my life. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus was quick to listen. And he was slow to speak. And he was slow to become angry. And if that's the way that Jesus lived and loved, then that's the way that I want to live and love. Why? Because human anger, my human anger, your human anger, it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So come on, church. We've got to be better than that. We've got to rise above anger and let's lead with love. Let's lead with love and let's make a difference, not just a point in the world, because God can use us. But not if we're angry. Only if we will lead with love. Let me pray for us.